because they're a steward of possessions that are not theirs. They're somebody else's, but they're taking care of those things. We tend to use the word stewardship most often in our current culture when we talk in environmental terms. If you think about it, no one ever calls anybody really a steward these days, except they say, oh, we need to be a steward of the planet, right? Uh, when you go camping, leave no trace, leave no footprints, you, because you want to leave what's there um, for somebody else who's going to come later because it's not yours to use and do with whatever, uh, in, in whatever way you want. We're entrusted with those things. We're a steward of endangered species, a steward of the environment, a steward of the planet. Um, author and entrepreneur John Steinle wrote, the difference between ownership and stewardship is that you can do what you want with what you own. When you become a steward, you recognize that you have just as much control as an owner, but a responsibility that's greater than yourself. We don't own it, but we have a responsibility that's as great as that of an owner because we're taking care of it for somebody else. We're in this series called Always Hustling. Um, you know, we, we live in a culture where we're always trying to get ahead. We're always keeping track of stuff. We're just always going to try and stay in the race to accumulate, to advance, to do all those kinds of things. Let, let, hear me in this. It's a race that we can't win. If you're hustling, try and get ahead of others. It's a race that we can't win. And the challenge for us this morning is to see the race differently. This series is about helping us see clearly from God's perspective and adjusting our lives, adjusting our possessions, adjusting everything about our lives to reduce the burden of what it feels like to be always hustling. Um, if, if I can give a little bit of context to this series from, from last week's talk as well, it's this. Bringing your first fruits, which is what we talked about last week. If you didn't hear that message, man, go back and listen to it. Um, bringing your first fruits is a natural response of love. Because God loves us and we love him, we just we give back to him very first because he's delivered us from slavery. He's delivered us from a burden. We, um, we give uh, just as a natural response. We give our first fruits. When we bring a tithe or a regular gift, maybe as you've done today, as you've set up electronically or whatever, that's a deliberate, consistent reminder that everything that we have is from God. It's a reminder for us when we give regularly that everything we have is from God. But being a steward, and this is really what I, want, what I want to focus on in a few minutes this morning, being a steward recognizes the reality of, steward, uh, of ownership of anything that we possess. We have things that we control. We have money that's under our discretion. We have possessions that we have. We have a home, a car, you know, all that stuff. We don't own any of it. It's all God's. Because when we die, we won't take it with us, right? They don't put your car in your casket. Uh, you can tweet that, right? Uh, just acknowledge me, right? Uh, you, don't, the, you can't put your car in your casket. Um, we only have everything that we have for a season. The issue for us is what we do with whatever it is that we have. This concept of stewardship covers every aspect of our life. It covers our time, it covers our talent, and it covers our treasure. Nothing that we have is our own. God owns it all. We, we tend to think in terms of stewardship really primarily about money. Oh, I need to be a good steward of my financial resources or whatever. And that's true. 
But it's also true that we need to be a good steward of our time. We need to be a good steward of our of our talent, of, of, of what God has given us. And it's fun. Let, me, let me just say this. This is kind of a side thing, and I don't really have time to say it, but it's important. Holy Spirit, okay? Um, no matter what your ability is, what your um, giftedness is, whatever your training is, there's a place to be able to use that in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're a microbiologist, if you're an airplane pilot, if you can do advanced math, if, um, if you have the ability to nurture things to grow, there's a way that you can use that in God's kingdom to bless the people around and to be a good steward of that giftedness that God has entrusted to you. Um, here's, here's where I want to go. Here's the passage of scripture that, that really is the heart of this. This may be very familiar to you. It may be the first time that you've heard it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. It's going to be on screen. It's an extended passage of scripture, but I think it's important to, to just hear the words of Jesus. Okay. Jesus said this again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, uh, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. Look, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's scary stuff, isn't it? There's this sense that God calls us to be a steward, that he entrusts us with things and we've got to be a good steward. It's interesting um, if, if you've got a physical Bible, if you've got an app on the phone, you can flip over to Luke chapter 19. Jesus tells virtually the same parable, but he tells it with different, um, different details. Um, in in uh, Luke 19, there's 10 servants that get not a talent of gold, but a mina of gold. Um, all 10 get a mina. 
Um, The time in which Jesus tells that parable is a little bit different. The way he leads into it and comes out of it is a little bit different. And it might be easy to look at the scripture and say, oh, um, either Luke or Matthew really messed up. Jesus told the same story and they just told it differently. They remembered it differently. The details are too different. I think it makes a whole lot more sense to say this. Jesus told this same concept twice in a period of less than a week immediately before his crucifixion. The reason I point that out is to say it had to be really important to his disciples that Jesus would say, look, you've got to understand this concept of what it means to be a steward and that the master is going to return. Uh, Let me give you just six takeaways really quickly out out of the parable of the talents. The first is this. God gave something to everyone. Um, We live in a culture where it's real easy to say, oh, I'm just not as good as everybody else. I don't have, you know, I don't have the smarts. I don't have the resources. God gave something to everyone. In the parable that we just read, God gave uh, one servant five, another servant two, another servant one. In Luke 19, um, the, the master gives something to 10 different servants. God has entrusted all of us with incredible resources. We have time, talent, treasure, like no one's business, like no one in history. We have resources to be able to use for God's kingdom. Um, We don't know, scholars are are, are kind of uh, in different places in terms of how much the master gave to the servant. A a, a talent, um, some scholars say, was 75 pounds, some say 100 pounds, some say 139 pounds. If you put that in today's um, uh, cost of gold, we're talking about somewhere between two and a quarter million and four million dollars. Um, if you if you just look, other scholars will say, "Oh, it was about a year's worth of wages." That may be. Uh, if I'm making two and a half million, that's really good, right? Uh, 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 a year's worth of wages. The minas that are in Luke 19 um, are a much smaller amount, um, but uh, it's about three months' wages. I think that Jesus told the same parable in two, to two different audiences. And that one audience had lots of resources, and Jesus put it in perspective that they got. And another audience didn't have as many resources, and Jesus put it in a, in a context that they could understand as well. Um, God gave something to everyone. Second thing is this. Everyone is accountable for their stewardship. Everything is accountable for our actions. Everyone is accountable for what God entrusts to us. There is no aspect in our lives that we can just say, oh, that doesn't matter. Oh, I'm a great steward of my time and my talent, but I want to control my money. That doesn't fly. Um, everyone is accountable for what God has entrusted to us. Um, third thing is this. The relationships of the servant and the master were proven by what they did. The relationship of the servant and the master was proven by what they did. If you think about the, the guy who had five and created five more, the, the guy who had two and created two more, they had a relationship of trust with the master. They knew him. They knew what his heart was. They wanted to pursue that. They wanted to honor him with what they had given him. And the guy who buried the talent, his relationship with the master was not very substantial. It was lived out by what they did with what God had given them. Your relationship with God Hear me in this. Your relationship with God 
is measured by your faithfulness in doing what God asks you to do. It's not enough to just simply believe, oh yeah, God's there. It's measured by, by our action, by how we live that out. We've said a disciple of Jesus is one who follows Jesus, one who's changed by Jesus, and one who pursues the mission of Jesus. That's all about living it out, the action. Fourth thing is this. Everybody in this story took a risk. The master took a risk in giving these resources to to his servants. The servants that multiplied what they were given, they took incredible risk. Think, Think about, you know, if you had four and a quarter million dollars, and, and, and you put that into some kind of activity to try and raise more money. What, what kind of risk that is. That's incredible. And the servant who buried the talent took a risk as well. His risk was that it wasn't going to matter, that God was going to be gracious and forgiving, that, it, that he was just going to say, oh, it's okay. Everybody in the, in the story, in the parable, took a risk. They risked a lot. What risk are you willing to take? Let's make it personal. What risk are you willing to take? Are you willing to risk that God will say, oh, it doesn't matter, that particular area of your life, that part of your time or talent or trade, it doesn't really matter, God doesn't really care about that. Or are you willing to risk and say, I know that if I take these resources that God has given me and I put them to work in the kingdom, that that's going to mean my life's going to get turned upside down. It's going to mean that I might fail. It's going to mean that I might not be able to do what I had hoped to do in the way that I had hoped to do it. But I'm going to trust God and I'm going to risk it for him. Fifth thing is this, fear will not save you. To me, when I studied this passage, I just thought it was so interesting that 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 last servant says, I knew that you were a harsh man. I knew that you you collected where you didn't sow, that you benefited um, in ways that you didn't even have your hand in. And I was afraid that fear didn't help his relationship with the master. That fear, that fear did not save him from accountability. We can, we can know and believe that God is who he said he is and that he will hold us accountable. We can, that, that can make us shake in our bones, but that's not a saving kind of faith. The faith comes out of a relationship with him, a relationship that, that happens through Jesus. Fear won't save us. The, the sixth thing, and this is really the heart of the message, the purpose of the parable The purpose of the parable, Luke tells us, is that we need to actively steward what we have because Jesus is going to come back, because the master is going to return. Um, That's the most important of the takeaways of all of this concept. Luke starts the parable this way in Luke 19. While they were listening to this, while the people were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus told the parable because they thought everything was going to change in an instant and what they did didn't matter. Jesus told the parable to say, what you do does matter. What you do with your time, what you do with your talent, what you do with your treasure, with your financial resources, it matters. Parables are are stories that are designed to communicate one truth, 
Um, they're, uh, an allegory is where you can look at all of the pieces and, and tie everything together. This means this, this means that, that kind of thing. And while I've made some allegorical applications this morning, the truth that Jesus was trying to communicate was that we're going to be accountable and that the master is going to return. We need to live with that awareness and with a love for the master that causes us to not just delay and procrastinate, to not just go through the motions, but to live for him. Um, Jesus has given us, God has given us so much. He's given us so much time. He's given us so much talent. He's given us so much treasure. He's given us so much teaching. We can't fritter it away. We can't sit on it and not do anything with it. We can't take all of that and be content to do with it however we, however we please. We can't take all of that to make our lives comfortable, to make us feel safe, and to not consider God's kingdom and what God's desire is for us. Too much is at stake, both now in our world right now and in eternity and in the future generations if Jesus, um, if Jesus doesn't come back more quickly. We need to be about the business of the kingdom of God. Um, I, I don't want to connect dots for you that God might, that the Holy Spirit might be connecting in your head right now. Um, but, but I do want to just make, get you thinking if, if we can, um, if we're to be good stewards, if we're to manage well, what God has entrusted to us, what's that mean? What's that mean for us? It means that we invest our time in things that matter for eternity. That we invest our time in worship, in life groups, in disciple-making relationships, in sharing our faith with people around us, in investing in the lives of others. It means that that's part of what we do. That it means maybe that we serve in, in something like kids' ministry or student ministry or worship or groups or whatever it is, that we be about the business of the kingdom of God. It means that we channel more of our money into ways that can multiply God's kingdom and less on things that won't matter in eternity. It means that we find ways to use our intellect, our training, our giftedness for God's kingdom. Uh, we have so much. It's not ours. It belongs to God. It's his to give and it's hours to manage or to steward. Um, Kingsley Manual wrote, everything that comes from God must go back to God. They become dysfunctional when they remain with man. Whatever blessing you don't return back to God in praise turns to pride. Oh, look at what I have. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. Luke 16 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? My challenge to you today, my challenge to all of us today is to see life as a steward to recognize that the home that you live in, the car that you drive, the job that you have, all of that, it's not yours. God is the one who has provided that. You're living in your grandpa's house. 
right? And we've got to take care of what God has given us because, because he's going to come back and he's going to ask how you did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your word, for the power of your word. God, I thank you for, 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 for how it just jumps right into where we live. Lord, we live in a world that, uh, uh, that says it's all ours and we have control over everything. Um, God, deliver us from that thinking. Help us to let your word, your spirit speak to us and help us see that that's not true. Help us to be good stewards, Lord. Help us to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Rick. We're gonna have a time of communion and if you didn't notice, we uh, set the elements out on the table back there and I'd like to invite you to uh, step back and get that um, uh, while we do that. You know, I, 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 have to, I have to do something this morning that, that's been on my heart and I, and I just, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll be with me. It feels like a safe place to admit something. And um, uh, have you ever had those aha moments and then some of you are like, what took you so long? You ever, you ever had that? And, and so this Christmas, I had an aha moment. And as all the Christmas decorations are, are taken down, I hope you're making progress. Um, uh, and I think about uh, uh, where we were at. I heard something that, that came to me that was kind of amazing. And I'm thinking you're probably going to think, wow, how, how did you not know that, Vic? But years ago, when I was a little, little tight, like little Gilbert up there, we learned about Jesus coming. He came in a manger, and they, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Why? I never gave a thought to what swaddling clothes were. I, I just never did. And, and what I thought they were is some fancy Bible word for, for blankets. I had no idea. But I learned this Christmas that swaddling clothes are what shepherds use when, when the precious lamb is born, that they're going to reserve for sacrifice. They would, they would check the lamb to make sure it was unblemished and perfect, perfect for God. And then they would wrap it in what's called swaddling clothes. And they would tend for that sheep until it was time for the slaughter. And when they did that, they would sacrifice that sheep to make it right with God, to break away the barriers, the separation of sin from God. And there you have it. On that night, the angel came and said to the shepherds who were tending those sheep with swaddling clothes in the fields, they said, there's a savior that's been born. You'll find him in a manger in swaddling clothes. And there it was, the perfect sacrifice for you and I, the lamb of the universe come to this world to eliminate what separates us from God. Oh my word, what a precious, precious gift. And he did it for you and I, for you and I, every single one of us, no matter what's going on in your life. The swaddling clothed, the lamb of God, and so there's my epiphany. There's my Christmas. Merry Christmas, Vic. It finally came clear.
And you know, today we have a chance to celebrate communion because just before Jesus would be sacrificed, he gathered in the upper room and he would be with all of his, all of his disciples and he would take bread and he would break that bread and he would say, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. He then took the cup, he lifted the cup, and he said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, for I give this blood to atone for your sins. Oh, what a precious God we have. Oh, what a precious Savior we have. He did it for you. And if you don't have that understanding in your life, I invite you to think about talking to Rick, talking to anybody that's here today because we want you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's a great day. It's a day that God has made. It's a brand new year. God bless you and enjoy.
prize It's all to redemption by the grace in his eyes And if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss And my heart turns violently inside of my chest today. We hope that you have a great week and we'll see you guys next Sunday.